This introduction is interrupted by BattleBards.com and EasyRollerDice.com, both fine sponsors of this program. As proof of why I ended up in detention, I forgot to mention them during recording. I think I'll blame the new guy. But with that out of the way, enjoy the show. Hello, students. Welcome to Detention. Academaniacs, please calm down. Uh, If you choose to say that in a different way, that's all right, because we don't care. And we're going to leave it at that, because it's a bad joke, and we've been carrying it on for over a year now. At least you have consistency. (laughs) We do have commitment here. (laughs) I am everyone's favorite co-host, The Caleb G., but tonight, I am Professor Crunch, and it is my job to take care of you hooligans that have found yourselves stuck here after hours in the RPG Academy. Professor Crunch, we're not all hooligans. Some of us are 'er ne'er-do-wells. And and I think I see a no-good Nick. And that attitude is what landed you right here in detention here, sir. That is a voice you all know and a face you are growing to love over on Lawful and Orderly, the brand new show on the RPG Academy Twitch stream, Mr. Scott Brown. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. And one of those voices you heard chiming in a little bit early is a brand new voice and a brand new member of the RPG Academy Network, Taylor. Hello. I am Taylor. I am the no good Nick previously spoken of. Taylor, who are you and what do you do? Because you are a brand new member here of these uh, these hooligans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was supposed to record an episode with Michael on Sunday where I'm giving my intro, but I'm going to scoot into detention because I break all the rules, which might be why I'm here. Um, so I am Taylor. I am uh, the main person running Riverhouse Games. So we do uh, a few podcasts. We've got a uh, Mass Effect actual play, and then um, my personal like pet project, Baby Game Closet, which is uh, an interview show uh, exploring uh, queer and LGBT tabletop gamers which is um, something, two parts of my life which are uh, pretty pretty big pillars of who I am. So um, that is something that I'm really proud of. Uh, we are also starting a third one this year, um, so stay tuned on that. Uh, we also write games, uh, a whole bunch of small little story games so far, but we've got uh, two chunkier ones. We've got a 60 to 70 pager set to uh, hit drive through pretty soon here. So uh, that's been pretty exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there is a lot to look forward to coming from your neck of the woods. Thank you so much for joining us here on the network and on detention tonight. We are going to kick things off with a little bit of extracurricular activities. So what is going on in our lives outside of these hallowed network academy halls? Walls. Oh, I ruined my own joke. Awesome. What if the... Walls are so thick that they contain halls for soldiers moving from tower to tower. That's acceptable. Yep. All right. All right. There you go. Right. You saved it. Thank you for saving it. So, what do you guys? What are you getting up to? Uh, I've, I've, uh, in addition to being pedantic uh, as an amateur and a professional, I've, I've, I've learned something this week. Something that I learn uh, often, but, but it, somehow it always comes as a shock. It not only can people be wrong on the internet, but people can be wrong off the internet. Like at work, where what? you do that work thing that you do, and then people are wrong, 
and you have to be like pedantic at them which i guess is that thing i do but uh yeah so so aside from work i guess uh not too much going on girlfriend uh finished her scholasticizing so uh hopefully we we aspire to someday be dual income no kids that uh someday someday it's like the promised land it's the dream that sounds like the greatest (laughs) thing in the world to me i know doesn't it like man Getting four paychecks a month. Whoa, dollar bill, yo, right? Unless some of you guys get paid weekly or monthly. That both of those, well, weekly school. Bi monthly, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, there we go. One, once again, Scott, you are not only the smartest guy in the room, but now your house is full of smarties. Did you? Ship me like a smarty bomb. Am I going to open a package that says from the Caleb G and and like I open the top and then that triggers a spring inside that explodes the bottom and smarties fall everywhere? Uh, I am now. Oh. Now that you gave me that awesome idea, I have to figure out how to make it. <sighs> All right. It's but, the tastiest uh... weapon known to man. <laughs> At the very least, we, we should do Smarty Bomb as a service. We'll register the domain. We'll license the, the business. We'll, we'll get uh, little Malaysian kids to pack rigged boxes full of Smarties, and we'll make a whole bunch of money. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Another, uh, nor this, another source of income here for the Academy. Oh, uh, oh I, I, can, uh, I can be Tinks instead of Dinks. There you go. What about you, Taylor? What's going on over with you? Um, we've got a whole bunch of stuff happening here. Um, so in addition to joining the network, uh, I am getting ready for Gen Con because submissions are due on the 22nd. Um, and my event organizer is like, hey, get your submissions in now so that we could start preparing. Uh, so I've been prepping, um, thankfully the games that I'm running at Gen Con this year are pretty like no prep. Um, I'm running The Quiet Year, which is GMless even, uh, and Questlandia, which is the same. So, so how um, do you run a GMless game? What what does that mean? Yeah, so you present it as um, as a, an opportunity for people who had never played the before, and then as the facilitator, you are in charge of um, knowing the rules, explaining how to play, and then also you take a more active role in making sure that everyone stays on topic. Uh, um, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I cut up. It's it's, it's like uh, how people run. Um, oh, what's it called? Whatever. Yes, I understand. Mm-hmm. That one game. Yeah. That one, you know, the <laughs> fiasco! It there always it comes to you after you give up. That's why you give up early. Quit early, kids. That's what we teach you here at the detention. <laughs> the detention. You know, I, I seem to remember back in the 90s, all those video games I played in the arcade. Uh-huh. And by arcade, I mean the bowling alley that I could <laughs> ride my bike to. I think there was some message about quitters never win, but I never believed it. I'm pretty sure some quitters do win. Yeah. Just by virtue of... of coincidence luck the world yeah you know the lottery things like that i i think if we were so inclined we could make a comparison to the current political things happening in the united states but we're not gonna do that because we are not that podcast we're gonna talk about fun things yeah if, if if you'd like to hear that podcast just go ahead and uh turn your your automobile uh tweetometer to the the AM stations, and and you will get endless conversation, more than you ever wanted. Yep. Uh, For me, 
last episode, I, I said how I watched uh, Emerald City. Big fan of that. Um, unrelated, but on the same topic, uh, a couple friends wanted to play an Oz role-playing game this year. And I got nominated to be the GM. And as I was looking at different systems and deciding what system I wanted to play in, I ended up accidentally writing an entirely new game system. Oops. (laughs) Isn't that great when you do It's like, this isn't doing what I want. Let me just build it from scratch. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And, uh, I had a feeling when this conversation started that's what I was going to do, but I didn't want to do it. So I tried really hard to find a system that would do what I wanted, and nothing really worked right. So as as I was tweaking and adjusting uh, a couple current systems, I said, well, you know what? I could just change this, but then that's kind of like that. And, well, if I just bring this over and, uh, well, God damn it. Now, now I'm just writing something brand new. So <laughs> I stumbled it's, it's into that. It's a slippery that. slope, right? You, you uh, see, that's, that's yet another reason why quitters win. You could have quit, Caleb. You could have quit at any time before you wrote an entire system. Yeah, I, I should have. But uh, we have yet to play that game, so I do not know if my mad ramblings and scribblings on paper are actually cohesive enough to be a game system, but in my head it makes a lot of sense, and I think I like it. We'll see how that goes. Maybe we can have a, uh, a report on a later episode of Detention. Uh, let's wrap up our extracurricular, though, and move over to Used Books. This is a segment where we talk about an old game, a game that has ceased to exist for one reason or another, we discuss it as a form of therapy and cathartic uh, reflection, uh, but also maybe to learn a little bit and uh, take that lesson going forward. Taylor, since you are the guest tonight, is there a campaign or a game story that you would like to share with us? Yeah, actually, if you want to hear something really cringeworthy, um, I told the the short version of this uh, as my contribution for the DM's Block 100, uh, I almost said 100 year s- celebration, um, but 100 episode celebration. Um, I was playing a, a game called Velvet Glove, which is a really spectacular Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's about girl gangs in the 1970s, hmm. um, and it's very like the Warriors... Um, like, uh, damn it, I'm blanking on, like, a bunch of those pulpy movies, but it's, like, disco, like, girl power, um, but also stabbing people gratuitously. Um, I approve. And, <laughs> uh, because I am, like, a Minnesota fanboy, um, I was running it in, um, Minneapolis and scoring and setting every scene to, uh, a different song on Prince's Purple Rain album. Um, and just using that as like a way, uh, almost as, as you guys do with the Magic the Gathering synergy stuff, like what does this song do? What is the theme of it? What's the story of it? How is that going to influence the, uh, the scene for this game? And for like the first two thirds of the game, it was great. Everything was spot on. Um, all the notes hit perfectly right. Um, people were picking up on different cues that I was dropping into the game. Um, 
But then, like every single RPG that I've been playing for the, the past 16 years, um, the players did things that I was not expecting. Uh, and I really, really wanted to stick with my idea, because I'm like, damn, this is a good gimmick. Please. And just kind of, like, hobnobbing it together, and like, yeah, and then this happens, I guess? And the worst part of it was two characters having an argument, and I was like, yeah, this is great, this is Dove's Cry. Um, this is why a relationship can't happen. And then their relationship, like, got together and they kissed at the end. And I dropped a reference from the end of it. And I was like, that did not work at all. And all the players were like, nope. And that was the moment that, like, the entire rest of the campaign just did not pan out. Uh, so I lost, like, I lost all the trust in everyone because they were like, you are... If And this is maybe my anxieties, but it felt like the players were like, you know, this is your game for you. And they weren't really wrong. So since then, I've learned, yeah, use this gimmick as a way to prep for adventures, but throw it out the window at first opportunity. Because it's great for inspiration, it's not great for execution. That's that's uh, sound advice, I think. <clears throat> so, uh, were there any particular elements of the game that, that uh, you think people could uh, import into their own campaigns? Locations you thought were really exciting, or, or specific characters you thought were passionate, or other ideas, concepts? Yeah, um, and I think that works really great for Fate games, um, hmm. because Fate relies so much on aspects, which are, um, you know, you get your pithy sayings, or your, like, resonant sort of, like, imagery from like pop culture or things that happen like anything that's a slogan is great for an aspect for for fate Mm -hmm. um and so what i've been doing um when i prep for fate games now is whenever i have a scene i try to pick uh, a song for that scene and then any any like line that's in the hook i'll grab and make that into an aspect and try to figure out a way to manifest that physically within the scene so for a fake game that I'm preparing right now, actually for the uh, the Highly Illogical podcast, which is a Star Trek Fate actual play um, run by some people on the Geekly Inc. network, um, I am preparing to run just like a, a civilian sort of adventure for that uh, as a beach episode, and I'm using um, Starships by Nicki Minaj um, to prep scenes and... Uh, um, that song is just filled with face, fate aspects. Um, Starships Were Meant to Fly is a great one for pilots. <laughs> uh, hands up and touch the sky. Um, uh, we can't stop because we're too high. Let's do this one more time. Um, just huh. all of these like amazing lyrics because Nicki Minaj is great. But ev- everything that you can pull out of that. Um, you can you can build a scene off of or or an aspect or um, anything that you can tag really. Sure, when when a problem comes along, you you, you whip it. That's mm-hmm. that, there's uh you know I'm I'm starting to see the brilliance here. Any annoying jingle or or acoustic expression can be a wealth uh, a goldmine of of short uh, yeah descriptors for for systems. Mm-hmm. That's that's a uh, kind of brilliant, I think. I've always thought it was very worthwhile to use musical inspiration when preparing for a game session or a campaign, maybe just to get you as the GM in the right headspace for the characters Mm -hmm. or for the setting you're doing. Uh, But I've also always thought it would be fun to break down a song and turn a song into a game session. Best example I can think of, 
Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> I don't have to explain myself. We all know what I'm talking about. Yep. I think that would be really entertaining. Is it a hostage scenario? I don't know. It can be whatever you want. I, yeah. I guess. I guess. All right. All right. I mean, I mean, you could take it very literally, and uh, maybe there are. Is there some... any other way to take all music? <laughs> I mean, there could be some demons running around that you have to deal with. I'm, I'm uh, sick of people telling me that that uh, you know, like a given song is not literally about driving a Chevrolet pickup down to a, a, a water encasing, um, you know, like like a dam, right? And and. And realizing that the reservoir that was behind the dam is has has uh, emptied out, and and now the the pack of water that you depend on to feed crops and people, right, is low, and that's a concerning event, right? That song is just literally about that. That's that's all I'm saying. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you you, you can't make whiskey or rye without water if the reservoir is empty. That's yeah. It's a concern. And, yeah. That I, I think every song should be taken literally. That's uh, that's perfect. So let, let's jump let's jump back into some Ziggy Stardust and just <laughs> take that word for word. <laughs> cool. So I, I think what we can maybe take from this used book discussion is that there are different ways to inspire yourself as a GM when you're preparing your games, and those are always valuable. And that sometimes when you are Using one of those sources of inspiration for the campaign itself, maybe you need to get out of your own way and let the players do what they want, or you have to spend a little time in session zero and convince everyone to buy in to the crazy idea that you're pitching. So let us move on to our final segment here of detention, uh, class review. Class review, we grab one of the classes from the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition player's handbook go through it discuss it talk about it and also look at some examples of that class in other games uh today we're going to talk about the druid oh Matthew so wishes he was here I thought we were going to talk about the monk today I delayed this (laughs) druid conversation for as long as possible. It's true. We, we, I, we pushed it off over and over. We pushed it over Christmas break. Yep. Yep. And the entire duration so far of detention, we've been yeah. delaying the druid. It, yeah. it, it starts with a D. It's right at the beginning of the list. Yeah. But you know what? We couldn't get the schedule to work, and Taylor eagerly volunteered. So. Oh. All right. So we're so, going to make it happen. Taylor, you eagerly volunteered. What are your thoughts on Druid? Yeah, I wanted to do this. Uh, I love Druids, um, especially recently, uh, as I've been getting more and more into uh, outdoor stuff and rekindling that sort of childhood passion. Um, I've really been embracing the fact that the Druid is this weird sort of um, magical caster who uses something that's so familiar to everyone, um, which is uh, nature and, um, you know, the, all of these earthy elements. So when you play, like, a wizard or a sorcerer or a warlock, it's like, yeah, they use magic, and it does stuff, but, like, where does that magic come from? What does that actually do? And, yes, there's so much out there that we can draw upon for inspiration for, like, arcane casters or divine casters, um, but there's nothing that really has the sort of, like, evocative imagery of nature magic. Um, 
So when you're thinking of druids, like everyone has seen, um, not not everyone, but like so many of us have seen those images of like the dark forests with like hanging moss, um, or or maybe like a babbling brook uh, with small little saplings shooting up out of it. Um, the the sort of like dripping moss that comes uh, from a permafrost like thawing out. Um, all of these are really evocative images that we have in our culture that we have all experienced as people, and using that imagery in um, your role-playing games, especially to create magical effects and magical environments, is something that um, I think hits us at our like cultural core more than saying like um, uh, your cleric lifts his holy symbol and flashes light and the undead turn away. And, uh, you know, obviously there are people who play clerics and, and sorcerers and wizards to like great effect. Um, but for me, because I'm able to tap into that like nature imagery that makes playing a druid so much easier to just like get to the raw flavor of it yeah i I think um i agree with you there and i'd I'd go uh further and say that that i always appreciated giving the idea of like giving nature its own sort of uh, quasi dimension on on the morality scale right there's good Mm -hmm. there's there's evil there's neutral but then there's true neutral and true neutral is more like nature aligned where where the neutrality does not come like i want to see a balance the neutrality comes from i literally give zero fucks about morality like yep absolutely. i am going it's to eat like... you to survive mm-hmm. i you know nature is brutal and beautiful and and combining both of those concepts and really uh showing those off i think is is fantastic i, I like you know, we, we've talked about the unearthed icon of variants a lot. I really enjoy the, um, you know, the the storm. Uh, I, I guess that's not a UA variant. I think it's 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 the the tempest. Anyway, the, like the tempest cleric version of druid, the the storm druid. That's um, a fantastic alternate build class that kind of gets in this idea of the raw power, right? The devastation uh, combined mm-hmm. with the neutrality of like, well, you were in the way of the water, right? Yep. Uh, you know, you can say ninth level wizard casting wish, it makes anything happen, but there's something really connective about, um, and using something for an example, the storms that we had in Chicago this summer, that video of the lightning strike exploding a telephone pole mm-hmm. and being able to point at that and saying, yep, that is what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's somehow, you know, like, like even like necromancy, right? It's, it's, it's. It's sort of passe to watch the flesh melt from a skeleton, like a newly formed mm-hmm. one as it animates from, from the uh, the meat of the corpse that's left, right? But it's much more terrifying to see how quickly ants can strip a, a body down to the bones, right? Yep. Like some horde of 10,000 that seems to ooze from nowhere and flow like water, right? Yes. Or, or ball up to survive in the middle of a gale of water, I, I think, uh, yeah. You want to talk about some disgusting undead stuff? Druids are 100% there because there's... Think about the slime of a fungus as it just slowly creeps over. Anytime that you see, um, like, time-lapse of fungus or, like, moss just destroy... Like, any sort of... Not disintegration. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Decomposition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Any any time-lapse of that is just so, like, uncannily wrong. Mm -hmm. Um... That's what druids do. Yeah, I, I always loved like the the slow burn outlook of of nature focused druids too. Like that mm-hmm. that uh, yeah, you guys can make your cities. I mean, we will reclaim them eventually. The, Absolutely. The, the the forest will consume you all. It it just moves at glacial, literally glacial pace. And speaking of mm-hmm. glacial pace, the glaciers will eventually come down. I I um 
had I've, I've a long tinkered with an idea of, of a druid and it have to be an NPC or something that, that that has just lived in the wilds and and made a garden right and and it's the kind of garden that since you've been working on it for 700 years right you can literally have trimmed the growth pattern of every tree trunk right that the that the subtlety and detail that you can get from just living in an area and sculpting you know they i i, I love fifth editions move toward uh like uh epic landscapes for epic monsters right mm-hmm. uh, epic layers and i think druids basically have a flavor of that right that that nature itself is wrought around their ongoing presence yep Nature, and I'm going to bring this up when I talk with Michael because my thing, uh, he has me pick a, a monster, and my monster is Shambling Mound, mm. uh, which is a, a sentient plant, pretty much. But you want to hear something terrifying? The oldest known living organism is called, dang it, and now of course I don't have that prepared with me, um, it's a group of trees that shares a communal root structure. Um, this is uh, what, in Australia, in the outback somewhere? Uh, it's in Utah. Ah! And it's it's called the Pando. P-A-N-D-O. And while each of these individual trees maybe doesn't have the the life of, you know, oldest living organism, but this root structure is over 80,000 years old. Uh, some experts believe it. Um, some experts actually claim that it's almost a million years old. So this organism, this thing has just been around for a million years, maybe. Uh, living underneath the ground, and it's 6,000 tons. Um, and it's just, you know, putting up trees. They get blown over, they get eaten, people chop them down, it just keeps going. And it's gonna be there for a lot longer than any of us can imagine. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I will admit that as I was thinking about the druid, I was thinking pretty much about mechanics and its existence within the game, I didn't take the time to think about the fact that it really has a very strong connection to reality. And as we are playing make-believe here, we are make-believing with magic, whether it's arcane or divine. But this, this nature magic is something that we don't have to pretend. We can see its effects. <laughs> it's not a magic spell, it's reality. And this is just a different way to understand it. That's a very interesting way to think about how the druid impacts the game world. Because we can make exact comparisons to reality. We don't have to say, all right, imagine a ball of fire being summoned out of nowhere. We can say, hey, look at this YouTube video of these ants doing this crazy thing. That's what's happening yeah, in front yeah. of you in the game. Check out this this uh, hand camera footage of a forest fire literally bearing down on some Californian home, and they're surrounded and trying to get out and driving over flames. Like that's that's nature for you. Yeah, it's hecked up and it's scary. But at the same time, nature can be really really cool. It can be super wholesome. Uh, it can be healing. So a lot of people. Th- Talk about druids as these destructive forces. Um, uh, obviously, the wild shape. Many people pick like bears or tigers for um, the the shape shifting. Um, but also, uh, druids are very skilled healers. Um, so nature, yes, it can rip down, but um, it will always always be there to regrow, um, to to fill out spaces. Um, so 
any any imagery with um, pollen healing over wounds or um, new growth coming in to replace dead tissue, um, the the comforting of like a warm um, a warm ball of moss uh, protecting like small woodland animals, you, you know, um, they took it away in fifth edition, but I loved having just like really unassuming animal companions, um, like squirrels or gophers. And, you know, people would say like, you're, you're losing this offensive capability for your character, but yeah, you're also gaining a friend, um, someone that you can really use to uh, take advantage of the cultural connotations that we have for different types of animals. So um, when you have uh, a, a, uh, doe or a fawn um, lope into the screen um, or take up space in the narrative that's providing um, sort of atmosphere and connotation to drive towards this healing or this comfortable um, this comfortable nature imagery that we have and very interestingly if we look at the three five version of the druid uh, there was some wording in there about becoming an ex druid and oh, abandoning yeah. your reverence for nature it does not say changing your alignment this is purely the flavor of choosing not to respect the neutrality of nature yeah Yeah, like a fallen paladin you you just uh stop obeying the oaths right yeah but unlike some other classes like the paladin it's not about an alignment change this is about a philosophy change uh, i might argue it's about alignment change but the alignment change may be from true neutral to neutral Okay, so mechanically, like mechanically, a paladin says change your alignment, or a cleric can say change your alignment. Mm-hmm. Mechanically, the wording of the druid in 3.5 does not say if you change your alignment, yeah. this happens. Yeah, it it's, says it's... if you abandon nature. Now, flavor wise, yes, if you are changing from true neutral to neutral good or neutral evil, that can impact that as well. Um, so, so that's very evocative of, of what the druid actually means. If by walking away from respecting the natural order of things, you lose your magical powers. Hmm. Uh, and there was an old 3-5 prestige class called a, a Blight Druid. Ooh. Where not only did you walk away from being a druid, but you embraced the destructive aspect of nature. You, you basically worked against nature? to uh, to try mm-hmm. and destroy it like I'm going to bring down the forest. Ah. Yeah, ba- basically the the class was if you abandon being a druid but take these levels, you <laughs> swear yourself to the opposite of nature and you can walk around destroying <laughs> natural growth. Like one of the abilities was you make this circle of blight around you in a 30-foot radius and you just destroyed all natural life. You just burned it out with acid or something. And then you drew your powers from these blight circles that you would create in the world around you. Uh, there, there were also, in the flavor of some other editions of D&D, there was the idea of the circle of druids. Oh, yeah. And, and there was, like, seven druids or 13 druids in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And this circle of druids maintained the order of nature and protected nature mm-hmm. going going off of what you were saying taylor that really kind of strengthens that vibe that flavor of just how powerful nature is and how little control we have over it as people and if there's only 
a few people in the entire game world that have any way to interact with it that makes them that much more powerful and makes nature that much more scary mm-hmm. we, we, we talked a lot about uh druid as as like nature or natural forces we haven't focused too much on on druid as the animal right like primal like like the druid as aligned with barbarian right so so you wear skins you are skins you transform your skin into the skin of other skin that 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 whole embodiment what, what do you guys think about that we all know what matt thinks about that well from a mechanical <laughs> standpoint that differentiation that association started with fourth edition right in 3.5 the there was only one class and you had the druid and you had divine spells which were focused on nature but also gave you healing you could wild shape into animals and you could spot cast your spells into summon nature's ally. So this one class, you could either, you could simultaneously be an animal, summon a bunch of animals, and sling a whole bunch of magic. And honestly, in the 3-5 era, I hesitated to play the druid because you could do so much. It was a messy class. It was a well-made class, but geez, you could just do everything. And there was a lot to manage at the game table. Fourth edition, first off, we didn't have primal. Uh, no, I take that back. Um, we didn't have druids until the player's handbook two. Uh, that is where we had the concept of energy sources, arcane energy, divine energy, martial energy. And then they gave us primal energy. And this is where we got this idea that uh, we have this raw source of power that is nature itself. And we had the two halves of it. We had the barbarian that was the, I am the fist of nature, kind of like the paladin is the fist of God. And then you had the druid who was kind of like the cleric. I'm the spirit of nature. I'm its protector. I'm its source of knowledge and power. So two sides of the coin at that point. It was kind of a new concept to me when fourth edition rolled around. But I think it's very interesting for the story, and it's definitely carried over into the flavor of 5th edition. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about the different editions a lot on detention, and I think my time sitting here with you, uh, Professor Crunch, has, has more than anything taught me to appreciate 4th edition for those power sources that 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 concept of separating like the role and the power source and the combination of that kind of uh, is an identifier for a class and uh yeah i mean it's 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 fourth edition was great at classifying and codifying a lot of the the classes that we kind of take for granted and um you know so 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 that suddenly you can understand bard and marshall are the same right suddenly it's it's really clear the relationship between barbarian and druid right this this sort of primal primal lessons Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth edition also kind of split up what the druid could do the actual druid class when it came into existence you could choose to sort of focus your powers you had a fair amount of spell casting in the terms of fourth edition you could choose to let yourself be more of a caster or be more of a transformer uh, but it was kind of not as good as you would think Compared to 3.5, it wasn't as big a transformation. It was much more, if you choose a power that has beast, you transform into a beast. Just make up whatever you look like, you're now a beast. 
when you use this item, it, it or when you use this spell or power, you transform into a beast and hit someone, and then you're yourself again. It didn't have that same evocative uh, transformation that Wild Shape does. But then it also broke down. You had the Shaman, where you still primal, but you summoned spirit animals, and you had them rampage around the battlefield to do things for you. Um, and then you also had the Warden, and the Warden, which was very evocative of the Druid from World of Warcraft, you took on aspects of living things. This is much more kind of that wild shape role. You took on the aspect of the tiger or the cheetah or the aspect of the tree or the plant shambling mound to do different things. So it kind of split everything up and let you pick how you wanted to focus. Uh, fifth edition, since it is really built on fourth, transfer that over into uh, the druid circles. And you could pick the circles that let you be better at transforming or be better at knowing spells of your environment that you were in. So it, it's interesting to me from a mechanical standpoint how the class has changed over just these three editions. You originally had, I could do everything, and then it split everything apart, and now it's kind of bringing it back together. Hmm. The... Uh, the new circles in the Unearthed Arcana from 2016, end of 2016, gave you some other options, but say they were still within these new circle divisions. You kind of have to choose where you are. But I know that there are a lot of druids in other mechanics, in other games. And from what we were talking about before we started recording tonight, I know Taylor is a big fan of the druid in some other games. So I wanted to look to him here as a resource because I have not played a druid in any other game. Yeah, so I am really a huge fan of the druid in Dungeon World. Um, I think it perfectly captures the flavor that I love of druids. Um, just the flavor text for it. Um, you are of sacred spaces. You're born of the soil and wear the marks of her spirits on your skin. Uh, you may have had a life before. Maybe you are a city dweller like them, but not now. You've given up that static shape. Um, so just like Scott was saying, you know, the, the skin and the body of a druid is maybe no longer even human anymore. Um, you're, you're 100% away from the sort of civ and I hesitate to use civilization because it's got weird like connotations, especially when we talk about nature and how people look at nature, but like you're so far away from civilization from or manufactured like cities landscapes. Or, yes. Thank you. That's the, that's the better term. Um, and, you know, yes, uh, the, the druid in Dungeon World is, is kind of limited with the, um, the species that you get to be. So you, they really only give you human, halfling, and elf, um, for it. But, um, I think that it really purifies what I think of when I think of a druid. Um, especially, uh, when you look at the different alignment choos uh, uh, choices that you get with Dungeon World. So, uh, if you have a chaotic alignment, um, your goal is to destroy a symbol of civilization. Uh, if you have a good, uh, alignment, you, you help. <laughs> Right? Like, that's your thing. It's just make a mess. Huh. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you have a good alignment, you help something or someone grow, um, which is that perfect, that, that natural healer. The, um, let the, let the fibers of nature 
heal your wounds. Um, and if you are neutral, eliminate an unnatural menace. Um, so that's, you know, anything out of the balance, uh, anything out of the ordinary, um, anything that stands out or is an aberration you destroy, which I mean, don't get me started on aberrations because I love those. And I also think that they're, they're like, I want to make a druid totally focused on aberrations. Like, um, <laughs> a druid from like the plane of the, the nine hells who's just like, yes, give me these weird, mouthing like just creatures full of mouths because they are creatures as well um like the, the, the natural order of, of tentacles and and sure yes and stuff. yeah like all life is life <laughs> um i love that and then the bonds for dungeon world so blanks blank smells more like prey than a hunter um <laughs> is a that is evocative to be playing with at the table um and I I think that it it may be something that's you know just um, my unabashed love for powered by the apocalypse games, but I think that Dungeon World just like purifies the druid to like what a druid can be, and it makes every single thing on that page stand out. Um, and I I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, though the only thing that I have like a bone to pick um, with the Dungeon World druid is the same thing that I have a bone to pick with every other druid, um, which is shape changing, uh, <laughs> and that's less of how it's like written or like mechanically presented, and more of like how people use it in play. Because um, when you have the ability to change your body into any animal. Um, and you're like, I'm going to change into a bear because they're strong and they hit hard and they got lots of hit points. Um, yeah, yeah. What? I mean, you, you missed out on <laughs> eagle, mouse, worm, right? Fox. You missed out on, uh, yeah, so, so many uh, other options for, for you know, the, the, aside from just the, the D&D thing of, of hit monsters, kill them, take their stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. There there's so many scouting uh, things. There's so many vision things. There's so many motion things. There's it's it's a huge wealth to mine for advantage and to be limited in that D and D context of like I can only do it for 45 minutes every other Wednesday. Like yep. Rather than the Dungeon World system of this is who I am fundamentally. I just do it. Yep. And like raccoons have as many sensory nerves in their hands as they do their eyes. Um, so under dark campaign. There's no light, no problem. I'm going to get a full sensory picture of everything in here by touching it. Hmm. That I mean, that's something that's overlooked. Um, minks, you want to hear like a weird thing about minks? They don't actually eat meat all that much. They just drink blood. Like, think about a Vampire the Masquerade game uh, where you have a vampiric druid and you're turning into a mink and just being like, yep, I'm going to prey on everything here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Learn new and horrifying things every day. I uh, I think Druid's about the the most awesome idea for an uh, an underwater or a coastal campaign ever, right? Like, oh, absolutely. Anybody who's ever seen, you know, like I turn into a jelly. You're not mm-hmm. ready for this jelly. I got stingers, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and you know, we talk about timeless body, which is a, a a pretty like iconic Druid ability, which is you just straight up don't age ever. Um, jellyfish are one of the few immortal creatures that they just don't die of old age. They get like eaten or like they die in a storm or something, but they will, if, if you put a jellyfish in a void and give it enough food and enough, you know, everything to keep its body going, like it will just keep on ticking. Um, that's, that is super cool. Um, 
there's more biodiversity in coral reefs than there is pretty much like anywhere else besides like rainforests. Um, so if you think about like all the weird things that live in like just the, just one reef, um, like the well that you can draw on, um, for all that inspiration. They've had thousands or millions or whatever of years, more time to evolve than land dwelling creatures have. Right. We still Mm -hmm. have legacy eyeballs that are filled with water so that they can perceive better when you're underwater because that was the norm, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's some creepy crawly stuff. Cuttlefish. And if you want to go for big... yeah, Oh my god, cuttlefish are incredible. I love cuttlefish. I have neon Um, communication. They're the only cephalopod with bones. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, and then talking about if you want that power and immense just like force, the blue whale is the largest animal that has ever lived on the entire, like in Earth, the blue whale is the biggest. Mm -hmm. You can drive a car through its heart. We need a boat. No, we don't. No, no, I, you you guys can make some room. We'll be good. (laughs) With all of these different ways to really get into what it means to be part of nature, Mm-hmm. The rules seem to get in the way a lot. Yes, and especially with D and D, D is is a very focused rule system. And even though it let, even though there are powers that let you be part of nature, transform into nature, there's kind of a weird line between how do we respect the mechanics and keep the game moving forward, versus mm-hmm. how do we respect reality if if i can transform into literally anything then yes i could transform into a raccoon and see everything through all these great uh tactile sensory organs that i possess but Mm -hmm. does that break the game does that make the game too easy does it make the game it's it's, too challenging it's, it's weaponized like um like green lantern's ring is right its utility is proportional to your creativity and your capacity for original thought Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you get that one player at the at the table who has all these this capacity for original thoughts and they're going to outshine everybody else there. It's 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 uh it's it's a balancing act, right? And and D&D definitely erred on the hard side, right? Like this gives you mechanical benefits to hit and damage and it heals you after you turn back. That's what mm-hmm. we're giving you, right? And D&D is a very combat focused game. That, that, that's yeah, it 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 turns out when you take out combat and magic, it's it's two page rule system. It is mm-hmm. the it is like super rules light. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. No no matter what we say about fifth edition, there's still a lot of focus on combat, and a lot of the abilities are all about combat. So yeah, if we strip away combat, there's not much left to it. the The fun of a tabletop game is being able to figure out how to do everything else. Mm-hmm. And and find those creative ways to do different things and and solve problems in different ways. Yeah, I can always transform into a bear and smash at something until it stops moving. But if I transform into a squirrel and can run around and tire it out, does that still count as beating the encounter? Mm-hmm. And I think going back to the dungeon world druid, I think that that's the best model that I've seen for shapeshifting. Um, so you have the powered by apocalypse 2d6 plus your stat. Um, and based upon that, you get a number of holds. Uh, so those are just points that you can spend. So anytime that the fiction would go, eh, 
uh, you get you get rid of one of those points. Um, and when you hit zero points, it's like you've run out of the energy from this shape shifting. You revert back to your normal form. Um, and it doesn't really say like it doesn't give you uh, a cement concrete like this is something that breaks the game. It's like anytime your GM would be like, "Don't, man, don't." They they concede that you can do it, and you give up a point. Usually, there's more than that involved, so it's it it tells you like make a move and you can have some failures but that's right. kind of the backbone for yeah, it. Yeah, you're kind of generating the the resource needed to mm-hmm. to make this explanation or rationalization function within the game mechanics. Yes. Yep. Which is very different from D&D where depending on the edition, you it's either a number of rounds per day or a number of attempts per day. Mm-hmm. Or just a flat out once per rest kind of thing. Yeah, limitation on the hit dice of the thing you can turn into, or a specific right. list, or what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, that's because D and D. It's it's for combat. Vi- it's a combat, and it's a very specific property, and the mechanics all are focused around the bones that make combat work, and those bones are hit points mm-hmm. and hit dice. And mm-hmm. levels and level-based benefits, mm-hmm. whether it's base attack bonus or proficiency bonus that we have in 5th edition. So it, it's that limit. It works within the limits. But when we start to think larger, that's when the challenge comes. Yeah, when you, when you start mm-hmm. to think like, hey, why can't I have a chlorine elemental? That seems a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know what? I, this discussion has made me respect druids a lot more. Hey. Because I <laughs> I always like the class. I mean, the class has always been very appealing to me because natural magic is cool. They had neat spells. Being able to transform into a wolf and a bear is cool. But thinking about what the druid really means, being connected to nature, having all these options outside of the scope of combat, Mm-hmm. is really, really cool and thought-provoking. And that's how you can get a really cool game. And that's that's also where the challenge comes in. Because let's say I, as the GM, am thinking more mechanical combat druid. Taylor sits down at my game table and is throwing all these bonkers rationalizations at me about why turning into a raccoon is the best goddamn thing he can ever do. Do, do, you, do you know <laughs> the statistics of how fast a woodchuck could chuck wood? I mean, honestly, uh, the numbers I have say that we'd make it through this forest pile in, like, 22 minutes. Scott, I don't want to interrupt you, but all of that is hypothetical. That's just if a woodchuck could chuck wood. I, I, I think there have been experiments that, that, that demonstrate that woodchucks are capable of chucking wood. Uh, just, but, just they need motivation for chucking wood. Yeah, so yeah if, the, inten- the, the question here is motivation. Would <laughs> a woodchuck do it? Does he have the motivation? Does he have the proper desire to do it? Or... or what wood could make a wood chuck chuck wood? And all of this is is before we even start talking about should a wood chuck chuck wood. That's 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 a whole moral dimension, really. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not now sure. Now we're if, getting back to alignment. Good, evil, lawful, chaotic <laughs> uh, thing can can tell us if if a wood chuck should chuck wood. So this poses a question: at, at, when you are using a druid, if you want to get this creative, what do you do as a GM? Yeah, and that's a good question. Um, I mean, especially when you're you're thinking outside of you know your your F twenty systems. So um, I brought up fate when we were talking about the uh, 
the used books uh, section, um, fate druids are really great because aspects are just like these huge nebulous things that you can just throw around like hammers. Um, and so if you have all of your druidic powers locked up in your aspects, just anything that's like thematically appropriate, you can tag and, and tap into those. Um, and so when you're, when you're GMing druids, um, I think as long as you respond in kind to the way nature is reacting, because nature is not a unified force. Nature is not a monolith. Um, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, and so as long as you come up with an equal and opposite reaction from the natural forces to whatever your player is doing, you can always, um, you know, if you feel that they're taking the ball and running with it, um, you can run alongside them and see if you can't take it back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think as, as long as, you know, as, as long as players are sharing spotlight, and it fits within the game universe you guys talked about in episode zero, right? I, uh, session zero. I, I think more power to them, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they want to, uh, you know, chuck wood or, or, or scout around endlessly as a raccoon or avoid all combats or, or do any number of other fantastical things like, like uh, give up on the, the main overarching quest and, and go start like a, an octopus ink factory. So much the better, right? Aquaman's got to have a side business just like the rest of us, yeah. right? You, you got to... You got to do what you got to do. That's, uh, you know, and, and uh, we usually get into at the end here, uh, right, other places where we've seen uh, druids. Aquaman, the new Marvel, so fierce primal, like so can talk to fish. He is the archetypal druid. I uh, don't recall him really uh, transforming much, but but uh, he's, he's really got the rest of it going on. Spellcraft, he's, he's got the uh, the combat end of it, I think. Well, you definitely meant DC there, not Marvel. I did. You're yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Write all complaints to of Michael at the RPGacademy.com. You know, given the fact that when I'm not doing this, I talk a lot <laughs> about DC over on Whelmed. I gotta, I gotta point that out. But yeah, Aquaman is an outstanding version of a variant aquatic druid who has uh, maybe a in, in gave up his transformation powers for powers to summon and control aquatic creatures and a some sort of terrain or territory mastery of underwater combat and I'm still thinking in combat terms that's my problem mm-hmm. um, investigation and exploration and knowing terrain and being underwater that's a perfect example little bit off subject of this but still sort of related to being a druid the shamans in Shadowrun you're summoning a spirit a beast spirit to be your partner interesting it's not transformative and it's not knowing the terrain but you are you you, you are the most primal thing in Shadowrun like like right. of, of of all the classes of the entire environment, given that there is no nature left, right? It is the mega city of, of Earth. That like like the the old school magic is the closest you could get to that, really. Like they're they're really circle tribal sorts of, of powers they're getting into. Yeah, and it's very interesting <clears throat> in the Shadowrun lore, you've got this mashup of cyberpunk and arcane magic and the Feywild basically running around, but no one transforms into animals. Now, Shadowrun is a classless game, 
you don't take a class level. You just buy skills to do things. But at least in the editions I have read, there's no skills to transform into something. I, I, I think the skills are having limbs replaced with bionic limbs, right? Also it's, true. It's, yep, it's, yep, a yep. Slow, it's a slow burn, like a lot of the nature pro- pro- powers. You have to replace <laughs> one body part at a time through excruciating surgery. Definitely. Uh, but it's interesting, like you said, that the most natural tribal primal thing is just communing with these old spirits to focus your magic or your abilities. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting is that the Technomancer, uh, its tribe are digital spirits and AI. <laughs> so we also have this very modern cyberpunk shaman almost where I'm summoning computer programs instead of the bear and the eagle and the coyote. But honestly, I can't think of many other games where nature is so important. Oh, uh, Dungeon World is obviously a great example, like Taylor's been sharing. D&D, the druid has been there for quite some time. Um... Have Any either, kind of superhero game that has... Have either of you guys ever played Inomini? No, but I want to. It's on my yeah, list. Yeah, I, I, uh, if, if it's the game I'm playing of... Yeah, it's... it's So uh, in, in that, you, you, you literally play angels and demons, right? So so you'd think good and evil, but but they end up being sort of uh, the primal powers to some extent. And and everybody has a uh, like an angel form and a non-angel form. So So every player, every class can transform back and forth. Um, and uh, so, so there are aspects. I, th- I think you know that given that one of the things we try to do here, the tension is, is find a system or an environment where everyone is actually playing a member of that class. I might push Anomaly as as a basic level. Everyone's playing a druid. Everyone mm-hmm. has divine power. Everyone okay. changes shape, and okay. uh, everybody's pretty good at, at uh, dishing out and taking punishment, to, regardless of what what class they are. That, that could be a druidy type game. I'm trying to think if, if there are any games that really reflect what Taylor's been sharing about that really raw power of nature and, and how it is almost its own character versus what the players or NPCs might be doing. Maybe Cobalt Ate My Baby? <laughs> Maybe. Um, there's a game that I've been meaning to play forever and a half, uh, that's called Witch Faded Souls, which is about being, like, hipster witches in New York or something. Um, and there's, it's, you all play, you're, you're a different type of witch and you get your power through different things. And the druid for that one is, is, I think, it hits me on a bunch of different levels. And one of them is just like a giggly, like, yeah, this is definitely the person who smells like patchouli and, you know, like grows their own soylent um but i think that that is a pretty good um if we're looking for you know maybe a modern interpretation of that that would be like really great like what does a druid someone communing with nature and gaining energy and power through that uh look like in this sort of like new context uh, away from like this high fantasy Hmm. yeah we could also say that as a bit of a a step away from purely being a druid but looking at the connection to nature and that primal, raw, tribally energy, uh, any sort of game that talks about using 
what is around you to accomplish things, whether that be witchcraft, whether that be studying tribal practices, if, if that becomes an aspect of the game, that could sort of be viewed as along these lines. Might be a bit of a stretch, though. I mean, there, there there's a, a religious dynamic uh, of being a druid. Uh, we could look at Arthur, Arthurian lore and what a druid was for the that time, the Celts, the barbarians worshipping nature versus uh, the more quote-unquote civilized countries and their abstract concepts of deities. Um, so, so that's another avenue we could take, but that's a little bit of a stretch. Well, I was going to challenge Caleb's idea that that's a stretch because as far as like in in my um, experience with with fantasy and with especially fantasy tabletop like that, I think is the original like um, the original inception of like a druid idea, because one thing that I haven't been talking about um, is the connection to like like you had said earlier, the Feywild or like dryads or um, the, the sort of like magical energy of um, the magical arcana of nature um and having that come from the celtic druids especially the fact that we have circles of druids um as opposed to any sort of like other organization you have these you know insular um communities that practice this magic and are these sort of like secretive um you know uh ineffable sources of organization but also control and and magical power um i think that that sort of like uh like celtic imagery is what um, for me, inspired like the first images um, when I'm thinking about druidism. Yeah, you're right. You're not wrong at all. Uh, if we think of Stonehenge, that's druids. If mm-hmm. we think of the the standing hedge mazes and trying to get through them, uh, and that works the spell or something like that. Uh, if we throw back to the Dresden Files, um, there's not a whole lot of druidic components, but there is one specific character who uses shape-shifting better than anyone else within the game. And while he is described as a wizard that is a Native American, he is a tribal shaman. And he basically fluidly steps from one animal to another in this one scene, in this one book. And he's a squirrel, he's an eagle, he's a bear, he's a wolf, he's a coyote, just bang, 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 just shifting, shifting, shifting within the confines of this one uh combat that he's in so Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that are druidic in that they represent the power of nature and how nature impacts your choices and your motivations and your outlook it's an interesting conversation this this didn't go exactly the way i anticipated when i was preparing for the episode today Uh, but we mostly talk about what you know the changes in hit dice just just you know (laughs) my shameful secret is that i like am 90 percent of the time i don't know the mechanics for any of the game that i'm playing um but i i think that the way that i make up for it is just by being very upfront about the imagery and just like the just making it as evocative as you can so that you don't really care if you know your bear has four hit dice or eight sounds like someone should be playing wushu also true um (laughs) This is kind of a way that playing a druid is almost easier than other classes because we have nature to look at and Mm -hmm. literally turn around, look out the window, 
here's an example to describe it. I don't have to express as much imagination to describe what it's like to have a connection to a deity that doesn't exist or a, a dark demon that I made a deal with to bargain my powers or what it's like to summon the arcane magic of the universe. That takes a lot of creativity and it's easy to fall on those tropes and crutches of what it means to describe that. It's super easy to describe what a druid does with nature magic because I could just say, look, mm-hmm. it does that. Yeah. And I point Tune out the window. Tune into CNN yeah. and, and you'll see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like I was going to say, like I was saying at the mm-hmm. top of the show, like because everyone has that shared knowledge of nature, um, yes, it's easier. But if you put in the same amount of effort as you do describing, you know, the wizard's fireball, the the evocation like the the, just like the oomph of what happens when you're working with druidism is so much stronger because you have a foot in the door already definitely it's something that since we can latch onto it with our real world knowledge it Mm -hmm. is a lot more confident for our role-playing descriptions and everyone has you know not everyone um there's a shared like cultural phobia of a lot of different things in nature. So um, the the trope that everyone's afraid of a snake or that spiders give everyone the creeps, that's something that you can use to like capitulate on when you're GMing. And, you know, you have this druid who um, they're long and spindly legs, multi-jointed almost um, because they're, the skin is down to the bone and they, they creep out on their hands and legs um, and just this web of spiders pours out from them is so much creepier than saying like yes this wizard shines with arcane energy and it crackles around the air but like just taking advantage of the um, the connotations that nature has uh, in gaming is something that I think is is really underlooked and on that wonderfully disturbing visual description I think we might need to draw this discussion to a close <laughs> Uh, Taylor, thank you so much for jumping on here with us tonight and recording. This has been a blast. Thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a wonder to be here. I'm so pumped. And one more time for our listeners, uh, go ahead and plug your show that you are now part of the RPG Academy Network. Yeah, so Game Closet is now a proud member of the RPG Academy Network, pun intended, uh, because we are an interview show about queer and LGBT tabletop gamers. Um, we are... We have an open door policy. So if you are doing anything in the tabletop community, if you're making a game, if you're doing art, if you are doing layout, if you've got a podcast, if you've got a blog, if you've got a website, if you're doing anything in the RPG Academy now, uh, in the tabletop community, not just the RPG Academy network, although preferential treatment, um, if you identify as queer or LGBT, I would love to talk to you on the show. Um, we have a bit of an issue right now, which is that the majority of our guests have been kind of overwhelmingly white and kind of overwhelmingly able-bodied. Um, I would love to talk to queer people of color and disabled queer folks about their experiences with the community, their projects that they're working on, all the amazing things that we do. Um, and so I 
again, preferential treatment and getting you on earlier than um, maybe some other folks, uh, I would love to talk to you. Um, and, you know, part of it's selfish that I want to surround myself with people who are like-minded and of like experiences. Um, and, you know, that was maybe uh, a motivation for me to start the show is that I want to meet more um, amazing queer and LGBT tabletop people. So um, listen in. Uh, if you would like to be on, join us. And what's the best way to get a hold of you, Taylor? The best way to get a hold of us specifically is by Twitter. I am almost always on Twitter. Um, I am at Leviathan Files on Twitter. Um, if Twitter's not your bag, uh, we have an email, which is Riverhouse Games MN. That's Michael Nancy, uh, at gmail.com. Um, because somehow Riverhouse Games at gmail was taken. Um, you can also find everything else that we do at RiverhouseGames.com. Thank you very much. Those links will be in the show notes. And that is going to wrap up this episode of Detention. So for Taylor, Scott, myself, Michael, and everyone at the RPG Academy Network, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.